Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome once again to a, another Sunday service. I am Marty Leeds, as you guys know. I'm a teacher of mysteries and preacher of the heart, and you are watching or listening to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. You can get this podcast at all sorts of places, Podbean and iTunes or Apple Music, whatever they call it. I think Amazon you can get it, uh, Spotify, that sort of thing. So welcome, everybody. Um, really appreciate you being here today. Um, as you know, we do service every Sunday, 9 a.m. Central Standard Time in various parking lots in uh, up north Wisconsin. So uh, just to let everybody know, I've been sick the last week. I had uh, COVID-666 uh, officially. I got uh, tested for it. Anyway. Um, so I have incredible brain frog. I just <laughs> tells you right there. I have incredible brain fog. I don't have frogs in my brain. I have incredible brain fog right now. And so give me, uh, you're going to have to give me a little leeway on this one. I'll, I'll just have to say that. Uh, we're going to be covering Mark chapter 8 today. And 
this is going to be one of the most difficult chapters uh, to try to purvey the, the, the messages within it. It's going to be one of the most difficult chapters I've done to, to explain anyway. And so <laughs> that's going to be doubly bad considering I, got, I don't have all the neurons firing today. So as you can see, I'm still a little bit stuffed up. But I'm working through it. Uh, Jennifer and I have actually uh, both, she's had back issues and I was sick. And, you know, when it rains, it pours. It's just, his, it is what it is. So apparently God's like, hey, you guys need to take a break. So slow down. So we, we did that. So we're on the path to recovery. So, um, yeah, so there's that. Uh, before we get going here, I want to say a few things. I noticed Mimi says she hasn't received her Bible yet. And please, please let us uh, know if you haven't. Uh, uh, message me because I don't know if it, if you were on the list. Um, there was some that were back ordered, um, and so we're still waiting for. I mean, she actually just got a hold of us today. The person that's making the rosaries, um, she got a hold of us today, and she should be shipping them out. I think next week or something like that. So I'm not sure if you were on the list, but if you didn't receive it, please let us please let us know um, so we can double check when you ordered. Because if we did ship it out and you didn't receive it, then we have to you know we have to get a hold of the USPS and all of that sort of thing, and then. And, but we will take care of you. So we do have another 15 rosaries. They're, they're all handcrafted and it takes a while to get all the pieces. Cause we, you know, we sourced this out and we wanted everything specific. So it does take a while. It just is what it is. It's completely out of our hands. So, but, uh, let us know. Um, I think there's 13 that are on back order right now. And so we're getting 15 in and then we still have to wait for another 15. It's just, it's, it is what it is. So, um, uh, but I appreciate everybody that has ordered them. And, uh, so there's that, um, you can, and I would yeah, highly recommend, I think, like I said, you can get the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ Bible with the rosary package. And I'm hoping we can still sell these. I just, I don't know, because once again, it's, it takes a while to get the rosaries because they were, they're custom, they're handcrafted, that whole thing. And so we'll see about that in the future. But, uh, you can, at Gnostic Academy, you can get the, uh, unanimous, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, easy there. You can get the unanimous redeclaration of We the People affidavit of status in the Constitution of the United States, and I would highly recommend either downloading this or buying a copy. You can download it for free. You can, like I said, this is this is put in the public domain. You can actually sell it. You can, if you have a website, you can download it. You can print these yourself on CreateSpace or Lulu and sell them yourself. Sell them for fifty bucks. Make some money on it. I don't care. Um, I put it in the public domain because I care about you and I love humanity. Um, you can also get a copy of Lord Jesus Christ. I just see, uh, what was, what was her name in here? Deborah Stilly. Is that how you say that? I got a good friend named Stilly. Deborah Stilly said that she, uh, uh, started reading this and she can't put it down and that's good to hear. I'm very proud of, very proud of that book. Um, and then also we have the new, uh, the new uh, updated version of The Peacock's Tales, The Alchemical Writings of Claudia Pavonis. Uh, you can get that as well on GnosticAcademy.org. And then also I put out, and I think I've sold one copy of this, but it's just for fun anyway, uh, The Marty Leeds Songbook. And so that's available all at GnosticAcademy.org. And that's about, I don't know, 60 or 80 songs that I've written over the past you know, 20 years or whatever it's been. So um, I am working on a new EP. In fact, I'm working on, uh, I'm working on it with Greg Arcade. I just sent him a, a track. He's probably possibly going to play some drums on his wife is going to sing on. And so that'll be good. And I don't know when that'll be out, but, um, so hopefully this year, I don't know. So anyway, um, that is good for all of the, the intro here. Let's get into it. First, let's do a prayer. This actually comes from the common book of prayer. 
It's actually, uh, it's where the Lord's Prayer comes from. So it's a, it's a classic book. It's, it's called the Common Book of Prayer. And you can get this and it'll actually have a bunch of prayers in there and stuff like that. And so people that were wondering like, oh, why doesn't, you know, Mandela Effect kind of thing, the Lord's Prayer, this is actually where it's sourced from. And when you read it, it's exactly what you say at church. So I highly recommend getting the book. It's actually really, it's actually really cool. Um, there's a lot of great stuff in it. I just started picking it up. And um, so this is one of the prayers in there. So let's do it. O God, whose nature and property is ever to have and to forgive, receive our humble petitions. And though we be tied and bound with the chain of our sins, yet let the pitifulness of thy great mercy lose us. For the honor of Jesus Christ's sake, our mediator and advocate. Amen. Okay. Um, I was going to do, I was watching the rebel preacher. I was watching Rebbe there. I'm going to call him Rebbe from now on. Uh, I was watching Rebbe over there, and I was gonna, and I was inspired because he he was reading from two Corinthians thirteen, um, which is a great. I mean, uh, Corinthians is just awesome. I think so. I mean, the whole thing is awesome. What am I saying? But so I was gonna do uh, this Sunday service: faith, hope, and charity, the three theological virtues, and talk about those three and just kind of pick apart that whole chapter. I put it together, and I didn't really feel like it was enough for an entire sermon, and so I think I might cover that this next week. I would like to possibly go live maybe some point in the middle of next week and and cover that and i was also thinking about going live depending on how i'm feeling and just doing a, a live stream of just a bunch of the songs that i've written that you've probably never heard over the years and just play live and so that depending on what happens we're busy we're going to go down and visit the folks and stuff like that so um so we'll see but since we're not going to do that today um we are going to do this is episode 18 of Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, and we are going to talk about Mark chapter 8. We're just going to continue on with Mark, and we're going to um, talk about squaring the circle and reincarnation. And I just want to say, uh, before we get going here, like I said, I've got brain frog. I've got some frogs in my brain, and so uh, I, don't, I don't know how well I'm going to be able to relay this information. I'm going to do my best. I will say this, though. If you're a first-time listener or watcher, this is, not the, this is not the show for you. This is not the sermon for you. Not that I'm trying to kick you out of my church or anything like that. But it's there, because there's so many things that we're going to cover in this chapter that I'm sort of going to gloss over, but that we've covered in other, um, you know, in other, other chapters in Mark and other live streams and things like that. It's really, it's, it's, it's a necessity that you actually watch those to, to get the foundation before you, you, you know, we could even get into this and, and pick it apart because, you know, there's some heady stuff in here. Let's just say that. And without a, without a foundation, like I said, of what we've covered before and, and basics of, of sacred geometry, this stuff is probably going to go over your head. And so I would highly recommend, well, like I said, if you're a first time watcher or listener, this is not the one that you want to, you want to focus on. I'd highly recommend starting at the first, first, uh, you know, sermon we've done and, and just, you know, watch them all. I, I try to keep these an hour, hour and a half. This, it'll probably go a little bit long today because like I said, there's some heady stuff in here. Um, I try to keep these an hour and a half and stuff like that because I value your time. And when people tune in to this, to this broadcast, I, I want to make sure that I'm valuing your time. I'm not just going to get on here and just talk nonsense and things like that. So, um, so anyway, wish me luck today. <laughs> okay, good. All right, let's get into it. Thank you all for being here. How many, what do we got? What do we got here? How many people are we watching? 73. Hey, that's the 21st prime. Um, GM Grassi's here. Zoe Zoe is here. Uh, James is here. Interverse Podcast is here. Good to see you. Gnostic Revelation Mysteries is here. The Hippocrates Matrix. Why, do, why can I never say that? It's because I'm not very smart. Deborah Stilly. Andre. All right. It's so good to see all of you. It's so good to see the crew. 
uh, we're, we're building a we're building a little fellowship here and it's great so okay let's get into it uh, chapter eight chapter eight we're gonna be covering squaring the circle and reincarnation today and hence uh, squaring the circle is this sort of fundamental within sacred geometry it's this ancient mystical mathematical art I've covered it many times before and so we're gonna cover that today but I'm gonna like I said, gloss over some of this stuff because I just want to, you know, have some flow and, and make sure we get this whole chapter in. So let's do it. Mark 8, 1. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto him, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. So these people were so dedicated. They were like, even though we don't have any bread, we don't have anything to eat, we're following this guy because we know he's truth. And he sees that these people know that it, that it's that they're following the truth, the way, and he's going to have compassion for them, right? And they've been with him for three days, and they have nothing to eat, okay? It's the disciples and the multitude. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just read this here, and then we'll go back. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, now remember, houses is an astrological term, right? Now, in the in the the literal meaning literature story here, of course, they're talking about actually going into a house. But of course, this is this is many layers. Of course, we're we're taking the um, hermeneutic approach here and recognizing that there's layers to this story. So the houses, of course, is an astrological term. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far off. And his disciples answered him, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Okay, so let's go back. 8.2, he says, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me for three days. Okay, this is where, this is where Gematria comes in. Okay, the first thing we're going to do here is actually show that Gematria is, is referenced in these verses. So Lord Jesus Christ in uh, Septenary Gematria, so those that you should all know, we uh, exclusively use uh, pretty much exclusively anyway, uh, at least when we deal with English, we deal with the septenary cipher, okay? And that is what will always be in the lower left-hand corner there. So, Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord equals 13, Jesus equals 27, Christ equals 32. Lord equals 13, Jesus equals 27, Christ equals 32. I made a little freaking little song out of it, huh? Uh, another little ditty to annoy my wife. Lord Jesus Christ equals 20, uh, excuse me, 72 in English gematria, okay? Well, three days... 24 hours in a day is 72 hours. So once again, when you see that there's these, you know, specifics being mentioned in the Bible, there, there, there's, you know, this is not arbitrary. They're like, no, three days. Why do you think, besides the astronomical connection to the sun being dead three days in the winter solstice, which we all pretty much know that story, you know, it's three days and then rises again. So there's that reference. But why is like, oh, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. Oh, and he, the multitude was with Jesus for three days. What's, what's up with three? Well, number one, Holy Trinity, there's a reference. Three names of Lord Jesus Christ, there's another. But there's, once again, many layers, many layers to this. And when you get to that anagogic, which is the occult, it's a, it's a reference to the gematria total of Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So it says divers came from very far off, okay? Divers basically just means a varying type, several, right? But think about when you say divers, like somebody that dives. What, what, do, you, what do you think in your head? Water, right? What is a di Well, if I said diver to you, the, I'm sure the first thing that would come to your mind would be like, oh, somebody that jumps off a, you know, a board into a, a pool of water. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about 
um, once again, the, the word choice in, in the Bible is explicit. I mean, you know, extremely nuanced. They, there's there's reasons they're using these specific words because they want to have different multiple meanings. So divers means various people. A bunch of various people came from various places to see the truth, Christ. Okay. So um, they're in the water above, as we're going to see. They're, we're talking about, it just as it says, houses, we're talking about astrology. Okay. And it says, so, um, and if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way for divers of them came from afar. And his disciples answered from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? How do we satisfy that satiation, that hunger uh, in the wilderness, right? Well, uh, we've covered this before, I think in um, maybe the first or second episode of this. Uh, what The definition of wilderness is a tractor region uncultivated and uninhabited by human beings. It's a tractor region uncultivated and uninhabited by human beings. An area essentially undisturbed by human activity. Well, what are we talking about? We're talking about the wilderness, the waters above. That's exactly what we're looking at. We look at the ocean of the waters above, just as it's declared in Genesis, and we say, hey, that up there is uninhabited by human beings, except um, the spacemen. So, anyway. Okay. So, and he asked them, how many loaves have ye? 8.5, Mark 8.5. And he asked them, how many loaves have ye? And, he, and they said, seven. Okay. The first thing they mentioned is... The you know clearly without question or controversy one of the you know most holy sacred numbers across the board cross culturally looking at you know various religious studies comparative mythology that sort of stuff you will see seven repeated again and again and again and again okay and we're gonna cover why seven in just a second here but um, and it, it goes on to repeat it too just to let you know hey focus on seven this is what the Bible saying. 8.6 says, and he commanded the people to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves, seven again, and gave thanks and he break and gave to his disciples to set before them and they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes and he blessed them and commanded them to set them also before, before them. So they did eat and they were filled and they took up the broken meat that was left seven baskets. Okay, so... First off, once again, we're going to do a little gematria here. Using the septenary cipher, the number seven encodes a common and widely used abbreviation and approximation of pi, as I always say. It's a number that's used as an approximate to pi because pi must always be approximated due to the fact that it's an infinite transcendental number. In other words, pi is 3.14159265358979323846 blah 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 it goes on and on and on and on and on. In order to use that number, in order to take infinitude, if you will, and transcendentalism, if you will, and bring it down to the earthly material realm, we have to cut it off. We have to approximate or abbreviate pi. And this is exactly what's encoded in the number seven. It's one of the most widely used ratios to determine an approximate of pi. 22 divided by 7 is 3.142, 3.1428571, and it continues on. So 7 is S-E-V-E-N, 65551, and this equals 22, and 22 divided by 7 is pi. So the, the mathematical constant of pi is encoded in the number 7, okay, um, or an approximate of it. The number 7 is all over the Bible. 
Okay, I mean, you can pick up the Bible and, and, and even do a cursory study of it and not see this number just pop out everywhere. Seven branches had the candlestick made of pure gold in the Old Testament, Exodus you know, 25, 31, 40. Seven golden candlesticks in the New Testament, Revelation 1, 12, 20. Seven times the prophet commands the chamberlain to wish himself in the River Jordan. Seven spirits sit before the God's throne. Of course, seven, uh, seven stars in the hand of the young man and son of man, Revelation. Seven seals the book is sealed with in Revelation. Seven eyes had the lamb, Revelation. Seven angels came before the God. You know, um, of course, the entire cosmos is created in six days, resting on seven, as we've covered. Seven thunders spake, and their thunder was sealed. Seven last words, our eternal Redeemer, spoke from the tree of the Holy Cross. Seven last sayings of Christ, right? Seven times blood had to be sprinkled upon the altar. Seven days in Egypt, all was water and blood. Seven days the children of Israel ate the unleavened bread. So this is the Bible telling you, look, there's something going on with the number seven. At, at the very core of what it's saying, it's like, look, there's a mystery here, okay? What is it? Okay. So let's keep reading. This is, I'm going to, uh, like, like I said, I'm going to do my best to try to explain all this. We're going to gloss over this stuff. Some of this stuff, just to, to have some, you know, keep the pace here. But so Mark 8, 8 says, so they did eat and they were filled and they took up the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000. So the Bible's given you not even specific numbers, but they're giving you numbers and they're saying, that's about 4,000. Okay. And then he sent them away. Okay. We, we actually already covered this about thing with a number in Mark chapter six. If you guys remember, this is why I said you really need to have watched the other live streams in order to get this. So in Mark 6, uh, 44, it says, and they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. And so what it's referencing here is actually um, in the chapter, and we covered this, was two fishes and five loaves, okay? That he fed the multitude, Jesus, he fed about, not specifically 5,000, about 5,000, and he fed them with five loaves and two fishes, okay? And that five loaves plus two fishes is seven. Well, and of course, he took the, he took the bread and the fishes and he, he divided them, right? Which basically means what? Division is actually a, a reflection of multiplication, right? It's just like if you start with wholeness and you cut it up, right? Which is actually impossible, by the way, but that's a whole nother live stream. Start with wholeness and you cut it up, what, do, what did you do? Did you divide it or did you multiply it? Right? It's just like in the process of meiosis. When the sperm comes in and enters that egg, right? And all of a sudden the egg divides into two. Well, did it divide or did it multiply into two? And then the two becomes four and the four becomes eight and the eight becomes 16 and 16 becomes 32 and ultimately becomes the universe of the human being that is you, ultimately oneness. What did it do? Did it multiply it or divided it? Essentially the same thing. So he took the fishes and the bread and he multiplied it. Well, in order to find out why about 5,000, all we had to do was take, hey, it's five loaves and two fishes and that's seven. And all we have to do is multiply one times two times three times four times five times six times seven is 5,040. About 5,000. Okay, so the math is, is presented to you in the verse. And all it takes for you is to, you know, go in and say, okay, let's, let's, let's see the cryptic, what's being said here. It's given you a, ma a mathematical riddle to solve, in other words, right? So, so we've already covered this. Mark 6 says, hey, about 5,000. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You multiply them, you get 5,040. That's 40 off, by the way, right? 40 off. Everybody get that? Okay, that's going to be important when we, when we move on. So let's read this again. So, and before I go on, I will say this. We're not even going to cover the, uh, the astronomy, the astrological aspects of this, because I'm going to make sure I'm still live here. I'm sitting here talking to myself. Okay. <laughs> so um, a few small fishes, as we've covered before. Oh, are we talking about Pisces here? The loaves of bread. Are we talking about Virgo, the house of bread? Okay. There's that. This is why I said I'm going to have to gloss over some of this stuff today. We're not even going to cover that today. Okay. We're going to focus on the ge geometric um, riddle that they're trying to unveil to us. Okay. So a few small fishes, seven baskets, and then they had eaten, were about 4,000. Not 4,000 exactly, about 4,000. Well, once again, a, a, a foundational study of sacred geometry, numerology, that sort of thing, will lead you to um, a, certain, a certain numbers, right? One of them is this number 3,960, which is actually 40 less then 4,000, okay? Like I said, this is going to be difficult to explain. So we just saw about 5,000, 40, we had 40 more. Now we're going to go about 4,000. And we're actually going to see with the number that they're referencing is 40 less, 3,960. So, and we'll see in just a second, and I'll cover this again, later on in these verses, Mark 8, 20 says, and when the seven among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said seven. So they're just saying seven, seven, seven. Hey, by the way, seven. And then about 4,000, about. Well, 3,960, once again, is 40 less than 4,000, about 4,000. 3,960 has seven factors. So if the, like the factors of the number eight would be two times two times two. So it has three factors. Um, the factors of the number 12 would be 2 times 2 times 3. That'd be 12, right? Three factors. The factors of the number 3,960, about 4,000 is 2 times 2 times 2, excuse me, 2 times 2 times 2 times 3 times 3 times 5 times 11. Seven total factors, okay? So they're saying, hey, look at this. There's about 4,000. We're giving you the number 7. How do, what's the relationship here? Okay. So we can see three, and we'll explain why 3,960, and this is going to lead to squaring the circle. Before we get to that, though, the if you only knew the magnificence of the number three, six, and nine, then you would have the key to the universe. And um, the key to the universe actually is, is uh, that number leads to you, by the way. That's a whole other live stream. So we can see this number, 396, right? Those, those numbers in the number 3,960. What this number is, or is a relationship to about 4,000, about 4,000. That number, what it's, a, what it's referencing here is once again, you would need your study in sacred geometry to, in order to get this. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. Is a, is a process called squaring the circle. And Carl Jung said, the squaring of the circle is a stage on the way to the unconscious, a point of transition leading to a goal lying as yet unformulated beyond it. It is one of those paths to the center. I would say it is the path to the center in, in one sense, right? Squaring the circle, the, the, the squaring the circle is this ancient mystical mathematical art. And I'm going to sum it up like this. I, I always uh, quote Stephen Skinner here because I think it's the most concise, terse explanation of what squaring the circle is. 
Squaring the circle has, uh, and this comes from the book Sacred Geometry, which is, is a pretty decent little book. Um, squaring the circle has long been revered as the ancient geometrical problem. Okay, it's like that is the strong V. Like this is the one you really want to focus on. Okay, the problem arose with the need to find the area of a circle. The solution was to find a formula or geometric construction that would enable someone to draw a square with an area that exactly corresponded to the area of a particular circle. The difficulty of this problem has been coined in the alchemical lore as squaring the circle, a euphemism for something that was impossible and yet mystical, okay? And the reason, the reason, and hence why the Bible's given you the number seven, the reason, and therefore pi, the reason it's impossible to actually find the area of a circle equal to that of the area of a square, the reason that's impossible is because of the infinitude of pi. In other words, we can never actually truly find the area of a circle, why? because we have to use an infinite number that we approximate. So we can get remarkably close, ridiculously close to finding the area of a circle, but we can actually never do that, right? Because, once again, we have to approximate pi. I go on to say, this is actually from the book, <clears throat> shameless plug, Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the geometric process of finding equality within the circle and the square leading one to the merging of heaven and earth is the process of bringing the entirety of the divided and individuated world back to its first primordial state of ultimate unification. And of course, that first primordial state of ultimate unification is the oneness of God. Okay? This is monotheism, by the way. When you hear of monotheism, this is what it means. There's one God. And that one God is totality, it's oneness, it's unity. Okay, so when, so when it's like, I have a religion over here and, and we're monotheistic, but we believe in a different God than this other monotheistic religion of the world. No, no. That just shows that you guys, no offense, have no, un, no clue what you're talking about. Okay, monotheism basically says this. There's one God. That's it. And all of these religions, all of these cultures all around the world are doing their best to try to understand and grasp that one creator. Okay. When we talk about polytheism too, when there's when you actually talk about a multiplicity of gods, we actually cover this in Genesis, by the way. It's actually talked about in Genesis about how when you beyond the oneness of God, you have you have um, in, in this sense the um, well as we said, right? We all become like little gods in this sense, right? Um, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them, it says in Genesis 2.1. So now all of a sudden there's heavens, there's a multiplicity, and we're hosting heavens, right? There's God, the unity of God is now multiplying himself within the totality of his own being. It's a, once again, like I said, you're going to have to go back and watch those in order to understand exactly what I'm saying there. So this is a fundamental concept within sacred geometry. And without understanding this, there's no, I'm just sorry to say this because I can say this from personal experience. There's no way you're going to understand the deeper meanings of this baby right here. And for those of you listening at home, I'm holding up the Holy Bible. There's no way you're going to understand the deeper meanings of what's going on in here unless you understand the fundamentals here. Okay? Heaven is a circle and earth is a square. And this is something that's sell, and this is actually what Genesis 1-1 is talking about here. So heaven is a circle and earth is a square. And there's lots of reasons why this. You can actually come to very common sense reasons as to why you would make this correlation. 
Okay. Once again, I've covered that before. I don't want to spend too much time on that today. In the beginning, God created the circle and the square. Square gets the circle. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And so what this is, is actually a geometric metaphor. It's a, it's a geometric riddle that they're actually presenting you with. In the beginning, God created the circle and the square. In the beginning, God created squaring the circle. And this is why, uh, you know, it's said here, it's like squaring the circle has long been revered as the, the ancient geometrical problem. Why? Well, number one, it's mentioned in Genesis 1.1. And we're going to see, oh, yeah, there's so much here. In the beginning, God created this, the circle and the square. In the beginning, God created squaring the circle. Now, this has long been known. This actually comes from Jonathan Peugeot. I've mentioned this several times. Um, Jonathan Peugeot is like sort of a, and chances are he's never going to speak to me. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong about that, but chances are Jonathan Peugeot and I are never going to chat, but I hope I'm wrong. Um, and that's unfortunate. Jonathan Peugeot, uh, who is an Orthodox guy, um, he's, I mean, he's been Orthodox for a while, I think. Um, he, actually, he actually writes for the Orthodox Journal, and he mentions here, it says, he, this is a whole article about this, right? One will often read in commentaries about the Orthodox Church architecture. And the central dome represents heaven while the square shape of the nave represents earth. So this is something, this is a fundamental, an architectural theme that is fundamental to the building of, you know, sacred buildings all over the world, mind you. But beyond that, specifically of Orthodox, Specifically of the Orthodox. Now, I guess the question is, is why don't Orthodox people talk about this that much? This is the only reference I've ever heard of any Orthodox talking about this. That, that to me is insanely unfortunate, but it is what it is. So, let me say this again. One will often read in commentaries about the Orthodox church architecture that the central dome represents heaven, a circle, while the square shape of the nave represents earth. Though this is commonly given as an explanation we are rarely told why this is so. It is a worthwhile question as it engages one of those images which clashes violently with the modern cosmological understanding. What he's talking about is the globe, of course. No problem actually whatsoever. But the question is also worth pondering because of the relationship to the circle of square is found quite universally. From China to India and Persia and Rome to Christianity and Islam. Now, why is that? Well, if you've been following along and if you are a member of this church, you know why. Because mathematics is a universal language. And that's why you find these universalities within all of these different religions. And then guess what you have? These religions arguing about it. Well, that's not very smart. That's no good. That doesn't help anything, does it? No, it doesn't. This is uh, the Chinese. This is uh, in China before the first century, whatever. The ground on which the persons lived was thought to be, at its limits, to be square. What was above that ground was thought, at its limits, to be round, a circle. Denote the first space as earth and the second as heaven, while carefully ignoring current ideas, beliefs, and knowledge associated with the earth and heaven. Of course, he's once again talking about the globe. Then ponder this Chinese text that probably dates from the first century. The square pertains to earth and the circle pertains to heaven. Heaven is a circle and earth is a square. So here we have like Eastern thought, right, if you will, like um, oh, Occidental, Oriental kind of stuff. It's like, no, they have nothing. East and West, they have nothing to do with one another. No, those are those, the Chinese Taoists where whatever, these people over here, whatever it is, and they've got nothing to do with our Christian doctrine over here. Are you sure? Are you sure? 
Marty Lees is going to come along and uh, help you out with that one because they're talking about the exact same thing. We all live on the same earth. The, cosmo the cosmography is known as Gai Tian, fragments of Chinese poem written about 300 whatever detail. The square earth is a chariot, the round heaven, its canopy. So squaring the circle, once again, this is the, there's two, like I said, like I said, you need the foundation of this to really grasp it. But there's two different ways that you can square the circle. Is everybody still with me before I keep going on? Like I said, this is, uh, uh, the video is lagging. Oh, no. Okay. Um, okay, cool. Um, there's two different ways you can square the circle. So you can find the area of a circle that's approximately equal to the area of a square. So, of course, that's the internal area of a circle, internal area of a square, duh. But you can also find the square, the squared circle um, with the perimeter, so the outside, measuring the perimeter of a, of a circle, or the, I, should, I should say the circumference of the circle, and the perimeter of the square to be equal, okay? And this is the one we're going to focus on today. So once again, two different ways, fundamentally to square the circle, with finding the equality in area and finding the equality in the circumference and the perimeter of a square. So we're going to focus on the latter here, okay? When you do this, you, you, you establish a proportionality, okay? So you establish a proportion, and, and that proportion is, um, you can bring it out to, well, as you see there, what, what you actually establish is, is when you draw the radius from the center of that um, circle up to, uh, I'm sorry, the center of the square up to the top of the square, what you establish is a unit of 3,960, okay? Now, that could be any unit. That could be inches, millimeters, miles. It doesn't matter because we're talking about proportionality, okay? When you also do this, that other radius that's created, was you, what you can do is draw a circle with, the, with that radius. So basically, in other words, the tip top of that circle so right now, what we're looking at is a circle that's pretty much approximately or almost exactly equal, if you will, the circumference, the perimeter, or equal, okay? When you do that, then you can take the top of that circle, and you find the radius, and you just sw you know, swivel your compass around. And someday we'll actually do the, the compass work with this, actually. You know, we'll actually do the square and compasses work with this, which I'm not advanced in at all. Um, very elementary when it comes to that. But I can do this. So um, what you establish is this diameter or this uh, radius here to this square is 3,960. And that creates the radius to that circle to be 1,080. Now, once again, it doesn't matter what the units are. Okay. So here we have, oh, wow, in that square, we have about 4,000. 3,960. <clears throat> so, um, and then... Estab so that's the radius. Then we establish the radius up here. And what do we have? 1,080. Well, if you add those, it's 5,040. Okay? So this is where, hence why it's saying, well, here, let me go back here. Remember when we covered, we said, hey, why, why about 5,040 in Mark chapter 6? Well, because 1 times 2 times 3 times 4 times 5 times 6 times 7 is 5,040. Okay, 5,040. So here, all of these verses, well, let's, let's look at it again. Um, 
let's see, seven, and then seven loaves, and then seven baskets, and then 4,000. About 4,000. Well, once again, let's look at our proportion. Oh, sorry, wrong one. Let's look at our proportions here. So seven. So they're mentioning seven a bunch of different times. Multiplying one through seven, 5,040. And then they're saying, eh, about 4,000. Well, 40 less than 4,000 is 3,960. So here you have a cryptic reference to squaring the circle, which is the first thing that they give you in Genesis 1.1. It's actually what Lord Jesus Christ does. Um, one of the things, one of the gazillion things that are encoded in the name Lord Jesus Christ is squaring the circle. I have a whole chapter on it here. And it's, I mean, I didn't even cover uh, all of it. I mean, there's so much more here too, you know, but I have a whole chapter on squaring the circle, explaining what it is, and then all the stuff that's encoded in his name. So I show you how the, there's the, there's the couple different ways that you can square the circle. Um, by the way, um, this is, let me just say this. This is an excellent reference book too. I'm not trying to sell my own book here or anything like that, but it's an excellent reference book. If the internet was to ever go down, this is a book you want on your shelf. Okay. So, uh, squaring the circle is, um, whole chapter on it. Right. And I show you all the things that you can get from it. Blah, 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 blah. Right. Okay. So let's move on. So we have this about 4,000 number fundamental to squaring the circle. 3,960, as well as its relationship to the multiplication of the number seven. And by the way, this is exactly what's happening in the story. He's going to break the bread, once again, multiply, give it out, okay? So here's, here's a, another drawing of it. So there you go, 3,960 and 1,080, okay? Totaling 5,040. So what happens is you can create what I like to call the axiomatic triangle. Um, there's an axiom, what I call an axiomatic or fundamental triangle that's created um, within this proportionality. And this is the blueprint, the two-dimensional blueprint of the Great Pyramid of Giza. Okay? Like I said, covering a lot today. We're also going to get into reincarnation. It's already 942. It's probably going to be a two-hour live stream. It is what it is. Um... So here we have a fundamental triangle within the squared circle. And this triangle is the blueprint for the great, great Pyramid of Khufu. Okay? So there's that. So that's squaring the circle in a nutshell. And that's a very brief explanation of it. Okay. So now we're going to go back and we're going to look at this. And it says, hey, and they had a few. So, hey, how many, how many loaves you got? Seven. And it was like seven baskets. And then like seven loaves. We're going to mention seven a bunch of different times. And then they had a few small fishes. And the broken meat was up seven baskets, and then uh, four thousand. Ben Krupa, Lord Jesus Christ in His amazing book. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Worked worked hard on it. Um, so did my wife. So um, seven, 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 and four about four thousand. Okay. So let's keep reading here. Let's keep going. Um, the this fundamental. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Let me go back here. I was missing my point. And then it says they had a few small fishes. A few small fishes. Okay, well, once again, we're, we're not even going to cover the astro astrology. Fishes, are we talking about Pisces? Probably, right? Loaves, Libra, or, or excuse me, Virgo, house bread, right? Okay, but we also know that the symbol for the Jesus fish is, I mean, this is the symbol for the Jesus fish. It's called the ictus fish, right? So, 
this is a this is a key symbol. Every I mean, if you showed this symbol to pretty much anybody anywhere, they'd be like, that's a Jesus fish. Right? Well, where does this thing come from? It comes from what's known as the Vesca Pisces, which is something we've we've covered before, okay? So the Vesca Pisces is two circles. And if you want an explanation of this, go to I believe it's the episode where we talk about the compasses and square and the eternal story of salvation, I believe is the lecture that we did this. Um, the Vescopices is two circles overlapping on each other's centers. And what it does is creates, naturally, the symbol for the Jesus fish. Okay, And there's no question that this is where it comes from. Um, so here it says they had a few small fishes. And then seven, 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 seven. Right? Okay, so he had a few small fishes. Well, this triangle, this triangle right here, a very close approximation to it anyway, okay? A very close approximation to this triangle can be found with a few small fishes. So, this triangle right here, the axiomatic triangle that's created when we square the circle with its circumference and perimeter, that creates that triangle. And you can actually create that triangle with a few small fishes. So what you do is what you, and, and this is very close by the way. So as you can see, um, basically you create a Vesca Pisces and then you put a Vesca Pisces within a Vesca Pisces. You get a few small fishes, and you put, put one in the other. And that triangle right there, you can see you, you draw it down. So you draw off like at the bottom of the, the fish there, right? Where it actually goes like this. You draw a straight line over to where it meets the other side of the Vesca Pisces here, and you draw up, and you're going to get a. It's it's pretty close. I don't know. It's like ninety seven percent or something like that, an approximate, just like pi is an approximate. Okay, but it's it alludes to this. It's like saying, hey, by basically just taking essentially a compass. Of course, you need the square to draw the triangle, but essentially a compass, you can find this this triangle. Okay, this. This triangle, do I have this here? I think I do. So this fundamental axiomatic triangle has specific degrees to it, okay? And those degrees are 51 degrees, 51 minutes. Eric C., thank you very much. Best church service ever. Love you, family. Thank you very much. Thank you. Nicholas Burnett, Marty is actually making Jesus cool. Yes. Jesus is cool, but I'm not making him anything, but I'm, I'm trying to help people understand why he is cool. So, um, the most rebellious thing you can do right now, by the way, if you want to be a true rebel, not that you should be a Christian, but just should be a rebel, but the most rebellious thing you can do in our current time is be a Christian. So, um, and I've always had a poor penchant of being rebellious, so. It's just natural inclination. But so once again, this axiomatic triangle, I'm going to go, I'm going to do my best to cover this axiomatic triangle squaring the circle. Hey, we found it in a few fish, a few small fishes. This triangle has specific degrees. So 51 degrees, 51 minutes or 51.84 degrees, 51, 51 being the, the base number, the whole number, whole number plus some decimals, right? The top angle is 76.3 degrees. So the base to slope angle is 51.84 or 51 degrees, 51 minutes. The top angle being 76.3. Okay? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, is 
a reference, a very specific reference to squaring the circle. In the beginning, God created the circle and the square. In the beginning, God created, in the beginning, God created squaring the circle. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay? When you square the circle, then you actually get these numbers. It's the first four numbers in Gematria that you're given. In the. In is 51. And the is 70, 765. So the first four numbers, this is encryption. This is a, I mean, though they're not giving you the specific decimals and stuff like that, this is, this is ways in which if something was encrypted and you knew what the hell you were talking about, like once again, like I said, if you had a foundation in sacred geometry and you saw that, you'd be like, well, those are the basic numbers of squaring the circle. And then what's the verse about? Squaring the circle. Okay. So this is what is being referenced in this whole chapter here. Okay, this is, I mean, we're not even, what are we at here? We haven't even got to, we're on nine here, eight, nine here. So, so that, that's all, the, about 4,000, why seven, why a few small fishes, why it's mentioning seven and seven and seven. Okay, multiplying one through seven gives you 5,040. The proportionality is 3,960, about 4,000, and then the circle is 1,080, combined to be 5,040. Like I said, a lot of heady material today and I don't want I don't want this to go over anybody's head but and now this is something I fell for for many years before I realized that NASA was full of horse apples as I like to say the they they manipulated the proportions of the earth and the moon to fit squaring the circle now when I when I was a globey and I saw this I was like wow really the earth and the moon are the proportionality of the fundamental proportionality of squaring the circle. Now we know that's horse apples, but that kind of, that shows you the level, at least it shows me the level of dark occult magic that's going on here. These people are manipulating our cosmos and they're doing it by being very antichrist about it. In other words, they're using a fundamental, the the, as, as Stephen Skinner said, the ancient mathematical problem, mystical mathematical problem, they're using that, perverting it and distorting it to make up where the proportionality and, and sizes of the earth that, you know, and stuff like that, where we live. So in other words, the moon in our, in our helio nonsensical model, the moon is 2,100, roughly 2,160 miles in diameter. Now, of course it's not because, you know, no one's measured that. It's ridiculous. Um, but half, of course, the radius of the moon then would be what? 1,080. The, di the diameter of the earth, from what they say, is 7,920, which means the radius would be what? 3,960, about 4,000. So this shows you the level of manipulation that's going on here. These people know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. And it's a perversion in Christ's name. They're perverting. And by the way, if you want to see another them once again, using squaring the circle to perform these dark ritual acts and things like that. I did a video called, um, what is it? Nine, something, um, the Las Vegas shooting in 9-11 or something like that. It's on, it's on my site. I've, I've taken everything down from YouTube because, you know, it's YouTube. But uh, I cover there how both of those events, those flags of the falsified variety, they are all utilizing the numbers of squaring the circle. It's clear as day, too. Okay? So, there is that. Okay, 
let's move on. Like I said, it's going to be quick. Let's read through this, and then once again, I'll go back, and I'm going to try to pick it apart. And straightway, this is Mark 8.10, and straightway he entered into a ship and his disciples, with his disciples, and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. That's where they came. So they entered into a ship with the disciples, and they came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question him, question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. So, in other words, think about this. Now, by the way, the Pharisees, they were tempting him. What does, what does the devil do? What is the devil? The devil can't create anything. God creates everything. The devil is a thief. That's all he is. And what is he? It's clear, in the, it's clear as day. He's mentioned all over in the Bible. He is what? A tempter. Lead us not into temptation, right? But deliver us from the devil, that sort of thing. And the Pharisees, so what were they doing? They were working on behalf of Satan. They were trying to tempt the Lord God. That's what they were doing. And so they were seeking of him a sign from heaven. So in other words, think about this. The truth was right in front of them, right? It was like, here I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm standing right in front of you. And what are they doing? They're like, we're seeking a way over here. We're going to get a sign. And Jesus is like, bro, I'm right here. Okay. <laughs> he sighed. So <laughs> it's like idiots. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. He's like, oh, Jesus. He's like, oh, me. Uh, and saith, why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall be no sign. There, uh, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. Why? Because you don't need a sign. I'm here, right in front of you, okay? So, and he left them and entering into the ship and again departed to the other side. Um, now the disciples had forgotten to take the bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. So they forgot to take bread. So now they're in the ship with Jesus and they're, you know, like, oh, Jesus, we don't have any bread. Okay, so let's go back. All right, Mark 8, 10. And straightway he entered into a ship. What is the ship? Well, the ship is Argo Navis. This is something we've already covered. What is Argo Navis? Argo Navis was considered, it's basically a big ship that has been, it's the reference, it's the Neshmet, I think in um, in uh, Egyptology. This is what Osiris, you know, was floating on the Milky Way and he was in a big ship and this is the constellation that it's referencing. Argo, uh, Jason and the Argonauts, of course, Argonauts, this is the reference to Argo Navis. Um, so it says here, now it gives you a bunch of nonsense history, of course. And it says, uh, Latin letters. So there's basically three constellations that make up this ship. Like I said, this is review. Carina, the keel, Poopus, the poop decker stern. We talked about why it's called all that. Because like, why is it a poop deck? And Vela, the sails. Okay. And this is the ship that they're, that they're, that they're in. Okay. Argo Navis. There's the aft, the aft, the stern, sail, the keel. It's right by Canis Major there, Sirius, of course. This ship is on the Milky Way. All these stars are literally in the Milky Way, or, you know, right around the Milky Way. So it's floating in the Milky Way. And so this is the astronomical or astrological reference of going, entering into a ship, okay? And we'll see, I'll show this again um, in, in a bit here. But so they says, so it says here, Mark 810, and... Straightway he entered into a ship, Argo Navis, 
and his disciples, disciples came with him, and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. Now, we've covered before how important it is when the Bible, just as you read here, like it'll just go on and it'll basically just sort of tell you a story. Like, and straightway they went here, and the multitude came over, and then he broke some bread. And then all of a sudden they'll give you a word like this that you're like, what does that mean? Where is this? What is Dalmanutha? Okay? And that's when it's the, the Bible is requiring you to say, what the hell does this mean? What is Dalmanutha? Okay? These, these words are chosen specifically so that you would be like, okay, well, I got to figure out what the hell that is. I don't know what it is. Okay. So Dalmanutha, what is Dalmanutha? Well, we have no idea. Okay. I, I looked all over for this and the only thing I could find was one site that said, well, this meaning is of the shepherd's way and you can find it from the Illyrian. Is that how you say that? Illyrian word for sheep, Dalma. And of course, well, it's Jesus, Dalma, Dalma, Dalmatia, is that how you say that? Dalma, related names. So, oh, there could be a reference to, hey, it's of the shepherd's way. Well, okay, that makes sense. I mean, they're following Christ, right? And they're going to this place with him and that's of the shepherd's way. Okay, cool. But other than that, there's really no direct meaning for this word. The name, it says here, the name Dalmanutha occurs only once in the Bible, in Mark 8, 10, as we're reading. Um, and he arrives there by boat, and right after he miraculously fed 3,960 people uh, with seven loaves of bread. Okay, do you guys see what's happening here? Okay, and then uh, seven loaves of bread and a few fish. Um, a few usually means two, by the way, too. So hence why there's two Vescapisces. Vescapices, is that how you say that? We know the region of, so now they, now they're saying, okay, well, there's a bunch of terms and stuff like that in the Bible in which we know where the, where at least allegedly they, they, where they were, right? Of course, I would say that these towns were probably named after the Bible stories, but that's another discussion. We know the region of Galilee of the first century very well because many classical writers discuss the goings on there, but neither Dalmanutha nor Magadan, Don, right? Um, uh, excuse me. Neither Dalmanutha nor Magadan ever gets mentioned by any one of them. So here we have, like, they're looking for the geography of this Dalmanutha place. It doesn't exist. So we don't have any idea really what it means. We don't know where it is. So therefore, we have to look at the word itself to extract what the meaning is. Okay? And this is where your study of phonology and etymology is going to become extremely important. This leads some scholars to believe that we're looking at a classical scribal botch. Like they screwed it up. Like they, oh, we, we were writing the Bible and ah, we, we, we screwed it up. Like, my Lord, these are biblical scholars that are saying this stuff? My Lord. Um, anyway, but that doesn't explain Mark's Dalmanutha and other scholars suppose that Matthew and Mark are both doing something more than just mentioning an inconsequential hamlet. What does this word mean? Okay, so let's go in and try to decipher what's happening here. Dal, Dalmanutha. 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 Dal is, when you look up the etymology, it means split. Dal, like dala, means to split. Okay? Dalmanu. Dalman. What is a man? Well, we know what a man is. It's you and I. Okay? So, in other words, Dalmanu, Dalmanu, Tha, which, by the way, T H A, like, like, at least in Greek, like Thea and Theos, right, are the like male and female terms for God. So whenever you see the word the, right, and the, like the, the, like that sort of thing, that is a at least um, somewhat of a reference to this notion of a divinity, okay? So in other words, dal, split, to split, man, you, 
which is what man is, and then the. You could say, you know, divinity there. So in other words, you, man split. You, man split. Okay? Dal, man, utha. So that's exactly what you are, by the way. You're split. Look at you. You're symmetrical, right? In general, your body, your ex, your external body is given these this, this this symmetry, this duality, okay? And this is this notion, hey, your brain is split, your eyes are split, your ears are split, your nostrils are split, your teeth are symmetrical, your tongue has a line through it, you know? You go right down your arms, your you know, your shoulders, your hands, your feet, your buttocks, you know, the whole thing, right? And then, of course, the only place that's not is actually the two places in which you procreate to bring, to bring uh, new beings into into Earth. So, um, so dal manutha man split. Well, this is what a mandala is. Mandala mandala means man split. That's what it means. Okay. So dalmanutha. Let's go back here. Let's go back here. We're saying, hey, and straightway he entered into Argo Navis and his disciples, with his disciples, and came into the parts of Dalmanutha, which isn't a geographical place, and we have no idea what it really means. Shepherd's Way, maybe. When we break it apart, man split. Man split. Man split. This is what mandala means. Man dala. Man split. Okay, well, do you know what a mandala is? It's a squared circle, guys. Look at them. Look at every, I, mean, I don't want to say every. But a good portion of the mandalas that you'll see, at least the most like intricate, you know, um, like ornate ones or whatever, you know, they're, they're a circle and a square. It's a circle and a square. Right? Okay. So they're te- he's, we just squared the circle. We literally just, we took the two fishes and we got the 4,000 and the seven loaves and all this other stuff. We just squared the circle. And then he's like, hey, I'm going to go to this place and it's called Dalmanutha. And what is it? It's man split. Well, what are you split between? Earth and heaven. Earth and heaven. Square and circle. That's what you're split between. You're a being that's caught between, if you will, the heavens above, the spiritual realms, and the material earth below. That's what mandala means. Look at every single one of those. Circle, square, circle, square, circle, square, circle, square, square, and circle, square, and circle. All of those mandalas are trying to tell you about what? Same thing Genesis 1-1 is telling you about. Now, the unfortunate thing is that we live in such ignorant times, unbelievably ignorant times, that Christians would look at this and be like, that's got nothing to do with my Christ. That's got nothing to do with my Holy Bible. How dare you, Marty Leeds? <laughs> right? No, you're absolutely 100% wrong. Okay? There's no conflict here. With the right eyes, seeing, seeing the true esoteric and the true mysticism within the Bible, right? Oh, sorry. Understanding the mysticism with the Bible. Do you know what I see when I look at those? I see Christ Almighty. Exactly what I'm supposed to see. So, now, <laughs> how can we prove? No, you know, I don't want to say prove, but let's, let's, give a, let's give some more evidential proofs, if you will, to what the story means. So, as, you, as it says here, it goes, um, we're going to focus on some astrology here. It says, okay, and straightway, he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts 
the parts of the sky above, which is where we are, Dalmanutha, man split between heaven and earth, into the ship, departed to the other side. Okay, well, there's Argo Navis. There's the Milky Way. You can see that right there. There's Vela, Pupis, Carina. There's Argo Navis, the ship. The other side, whenever you talk about the other side, you're talking about going from north to south in your celestial sphere. Okay? And yes, it is a sphere. We, in the center of this sphere, are on a flat plane. It's not completely flat because, of course, there's topography. But you get what I'm saying. There's a flat plane, and around us is a sphere of stars, at least that's what we understand, circling around. So when we go from north to south, it's the other side. Okay? Now, they go into the parts of Dalmanutha. Well, right by Argo Navis is the constant, and this is what we covered before, are the constellations Circinus, Circinus, and Norma. Circinus and Norma. They're in Argo Navis. They're in the ship, and they're going to the parts of Dalmanutha, which means man split, which is a reference to what? Your mandala, your circle and square. You're squaring the circle. And where? what's right by it? Well, Circinus is what? It's a small, faint constellation, and it's Latin name for compass, which draws a what? A circle. And, of course, we have the square, which is Norma. It's Latin for normal. It's referring to a right angle. The square is the right angle. Circle. Square. Does everybody get that? I'm trying to be as thorough, Henry David thorough, as I can. Everybody get that? They're in the ship. Argo Navis. They go to the other side. And they enter into the parts of man, Mandala, the circle in the square. And what do you find? What do we find right there? Literally the constellations that create the circle and the square. Let's move on, shall we? Okay. So, I didn't miss anything. I gotta make sure I didn't miss anything. No, we're good. So, any char... Um, so, Jesus, now, they got the fair, they, these Pharisees and stuff like that, and, um, you know, they're like, hey, we're gonna tempt you. We want a sign. And I was like, I'm right here, dude. What, what do you need a sign for? <laughs> like, you just gotta worship me. So, and he, so this is A15, and he charged them saying, take heed, right, of the, this is, um, I think he's talking to the multitude here. It's, um... Now, the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf, so they didn't, they only had one loaf of bread. Do you really think they needed bread, though? They had Christ, who is what? Giving them the bread of life, correct? Now, when you have the bread of life, as we know, are you ever going to go hungry? No, it's spiritual, it's spiritual sustenance all day long, okay? So... And he says, hey, and he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Now, we all know who Herod is, or at least we should if we've, if we've watched this, um, if you guys have been watching. Herod is a absolute psychopath, right? He's essentially, the, he's essentially, if you took all the people at the World Economic Forum and like amalgamated them into like one dude, essentially be King Herod. So King Herod is a walking, talking pile of human excrescence, as I like to say. And there, and Jesus Christ is being like, hey, you got to be wary of the bread of these people. Be wary of the leaven. Now, what is the leaven? Leaven definition, you probably know. Leaven is a substance, typically yeast, that is used in dough to make it rise. Right? So Jesus is saying, you're probably not going to want to eat the bread of a bunch of Pharisees who deny me and think they're a bunch of special boys and the chosen ones. 
and of and follow the traditions of elders and men and of the leaven of Herod, who was a child murderer and, uh, you know, all this other stuff. So that bread is not going to help you rise. And that's what we want to do. We want to arise with Christ, do we not? And he's saying, take heed. You eat that. You ain't getting upstairs, right? And, and then they reasoned among themselves. Remember, we covered this too. They didn't reason with God Almighty. They didn't reason to be like, well, what should, you know, that sort of thing. They reasoned among themselves. They started talking to each other. They started, they started, you know, going to other rabbis and they started picking through the Talmud and they're like, well, what, what do you think we should do? But what did Rabbi Shlomo Tovia Singer said? Right? They didn't reason with God. They reasoned with them, their dirty ass selves. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, why reason ye? Because ye have no bread. Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? The reason you don't understand me is because you have a hardened heart. The reason, and he goes on to say, having eyes see ye not, and having ears hear ye not, and do ye not remember? This is the same thing he's saying in Matthew 13. Um, it's the, you know, there's a classic one. It's like, um, and the disciples came and said unto them, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to others it is not. For seeing they see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. You didn't do the spiritual work. You were reasoning with yourself and being like, this is what I think is going on in the world. These are my theories. This is what old rabbis over here told me, and that's what I'm just going to go with. Instead of being like, no, I want the truth, and I want it from Christ Almighty. And therefore, what? Because they didn't do that, they can't see. They can't see anything. They can't hear anything. They're never going to understand. Because why? As we know, it's all about the heart. The heart has been hardened. You can't let the, you can't let the light of Christ in that thing. You already, you already built a a Talmudic wall around it, if you will, okay? And so, uh, I'm going I'm to keep going here. And when then he goes on to say here, um, well, there's the leaven. It says, when I break, Mark 8, 19, when I break the five loaves among 5,000, so he's, this is what he's doing. He's saying, do you not remember? We just talked about this in Mark chapter 6, is what he's saying. Do you not remember when, 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 what happened? I said, when I broke... When I break the five loaves among five, about 5,000, of course, he's, he's mentioning bef- previous chapter. How many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, 12. Okay? And we'll get into this in a second. And so this is what, once again, he's mentioning. He's mentioning Mark. He's like, hey, remember when I broke the bread and fed the 5,000? Okay? Yet again, a reference to squaring the circle with the holiness of the number seven and all of that sort of stuff. Okay? And we'll get into um, this, 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 by the way, when I break the five loaves among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, 12. What's, what's the difference between 12 and five? Seven. Seven. So yet again, another reference to the exact same thing we've been talking about this whole time. Okay. I'm going to sort of brush over this because, uh, okay, then he, then he goes on to say, Mark 8, 20. And when the seven among 4,000, how many basket, baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said seven. We just we just talked about this. Okay, what, what's the 4,000? 3,960. What's the seven? Multiplying one through seven, 5,040. What's he talking about? Squaring the circle. Dalmanutha, Mandala, man, sir, you know, they're in the sea. Circanus and Norma. Is it coming together? Okay. And he said, and he said, 
And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? Why don't you understand? As we know. As we know why. And he come to Bethsaida. We've already talked about Bethsaida. What's Bethsaida? Um, let's, I'll, get, I'll get back into this. But Bethsaida is, literally means the house of the hunt. Okay? So they're saying, they're like, hey, they went to the other side. We were in the southern, southern celestial sphere. And now we're going to the northern celestial sphere, the other side. And we're going to go to the house of the hunt. And that's Orion. Okay? Bethsaida literally means house of the hunt. And what is Orion? He's a hunter. And what's he out hunting? Well, he's hunting the bunny, the hare, the lepus, um, and the bull, the Taurus. Okay? So, um, I, w- I just want to mention this one other thing here. This is, um, I'll, I'll just review this again. 3,960, about 4,000. You add the radius to the rest of the square of the circle, you get 5,040. Multiplying 1 through 7, 5,040. And there, there it is. Um, notice this. It says this. Um, now, he doesn't say about in this, in this verse. This is extremely specific, guys. Okay? So he says, um, here, I'll just do this. In Mark... 644 it says and they did eat of the loaves which were about 5000 men right okay well in this specific verse here it says um oh where am i here sorry i'm already losing my place in this specific verse it says when i break 5 loaves among 5000 I'm going to break five loaves among 5,000. Well, 5,040 divided by five is 1008. Okay? So 5,040 divided by five is 1008. Sorry, I'm losing my, my place here. I apologize. 5,040 divided by five is 1008. Well, this, this is yet another reference to squaring the circle. <laughs> so, um, so first off, 1008 is a number that is used on watches. And sometimes it's 1009, sometimes it's 1010, but specifically they've it's it's you know shown to be 1008. So in other words, when you see a watch face, and you'll even see it on digital watches, they'll use the number 1008. You'll show this, right? Well, you can actually show that this 1008 geometrically implies squaring the circle. Because not only is 5040 times 2. So in other words, if we were going to, 5,040 times 2 would be 10,080. So in other words, if we go, um, and I'll, I'll revisit this again, make sure I've got the, so if we were going to find the diameter of that, right? So we've got 5,040, what, if we multiplied that by 2, it would be what? 10,080, or once again, in, in, in numerological sense, 1008 is a reference to that. 5,040 divided by 5 is 1008, once again, okay? Breaking the, about 5,000. This is, once again, implies, geometrically implies squaring the circle. So when you square the circle, once again, it's not exact or whatever, but it's it's one of those things that implies squaring the circle. So this is the, to find the area of a circle and square, um, and squaring the circle, you get these general like I said, general um, measurements there. And you can see that right there. And 1008 is used. So not only is 1008 referencing the proportionality of squaring the circle by 10,000, you know, 10,080, 5,040 times two. Like I said, a lot of math today. 
5,040 times 2, 10,080. But 1008 is used on all these clock watches. Why? Okay. Does everybody get that? Um, all right. Let's, let's move on. In Mark 8, 22, and he come to Bethside, he come to the house of the hunt. He came to Orion, who was out, and he was hunting, and he was hunting the bunnies, and he was hunting the bulls. And they bring him a blind man and besought him to touch him. Once again, the power of Christ's hands. Everything, all of this stuff is referencing your hands. We've talked about it time and time again. He, you know, he put his fingers in the guy's ear and he touched his tongue and he spit. Next thing you know, he's healed. He put his hands on the guy and next thing you know, he healed his withered hands. The guy was dropped from his roof in Capernaum, which means head, roof, that sort of thing. And he lowered him down and then he touched him and he healed his hand. You know, he healed him with his hands. It's always about Christ's hands. Why? Well, because it's trying to get you to understand the mathematics of your hands and how powerful they are. Okay. We know that the hands, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. That's how many phalanges you have on your fingers and your thumb. 14 times two is 28. Okay. Adding one, two, three, four, five, six, seven equals 28. What's multiplying one through seven? It's 5,040. So every time it says in the Bible, the hands of Christ came down and he touched them, stuff like that. They're saying, look, man, there's encodings here. Okay. And he took the blind man, this guy couldn't see, by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit in his eyes, so once again, when we, we covered spit, when you spit, it's like to try to purge something, right? But what else do you do? Like, did your mom ever do this when, you, she, when she was young? Like, oh, you got something. You take, oh, here, let me get this here. That sort of thing. It's to wash off. It's to clean. So spit, in one sense, too, is eject out to purge. And we saw him do that. Christ is like, ah, I'm going to take all that, that uh, all the demon and devil, devilish in you and stuff like that. I'm going to take it. I'm going to spit it and purge it out. But in this sense, he's going to take him and he's going to clean. He's going to clean him. Okay, And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes, because he wants him to see, he's going to clean him up. And he put his hands upon him. Put his hands upon him. Small axe. Great sermon, Marty. Thank you. I was really uh, was really worried about this one because it's there's a lot here. Thank you so much, small axe. Um, he asked him if he saw anything. Ought means anything. Did you, do you see anything? So I've just spit in your eyes, cleanse them with my own, the own fluids of Christ, right? He asked him, did you see, have you seen anything? Do you see anything now? And this guy, what did he say? Mark 8, 24, he says, he looked up and he said, I see dead men. No, I'm just kidding. I see dead people. No, he said, I see men as trees walking. That's what he says. I see men as trees walking. What? What like what does that mean? Can like can anybody tell me like have they ever gone to church anywhere or read any you know biblical scholar or anything like that that's given any sort of commonplace commonsensical answer as to why when Christ healed this dude initially anyway as you'll see there's more to the story why he saw men as trees comma walking okay well and figure it out. This is a reference to Kabbalah. This is a reference to Kabbalah. This is the Kabbalistic tree of life. Now, 
the Kabbalistic tree of life is found, as we're going to see, it's found all over in, in cultures the world over. Okay? It's, it's, this, it's the exact same symbolism. It's just couched in different terms. And I'm going to show you this, okay? And we've covered this before. What's important is that the, the and this is what is so, uh, at times I'll just say this, just because, you know, sometimes I have some emotional issues. <laughs> Let's just be honest. It's damn irritating is what it is. It's downright irritating sometimes. The Old Testament is clearly Kabbalistically written. Okay? Well, the problem is people don't understand what Kabbalah is. That's the main issue. But it's the Old Testament is clearly written with Kabbalah. Okay? And then we're supposed to believe that this Old Testament, then we get the new one, and then that whole process of like basically a, a spiritual insights, basically um, what Kabbalah is, is, is understanding number symbolism. That's what it is. That's what it is. We're just supposed to believe that it was completely abandoned in the New Testament. So the Old Testament, clearly Kabbalistically written, and then in the New Testament, eh, we just threw all that stuff out. Even though it's all about number symbolism and understanding the pro you know, the properties and qualities and attributes of numbers and stuff like that. And then we got a carpenter who works with math all day long, and we're just supposed to... I guess throw all that out. Does that make any sense to you? No, it doesn't. It should. I mean, if it does make sense to you, I don't know what to say. Um, Kabbalah, once again, what is it? It's a study of math. And what did we cover before? Why do we find the circle and the square in Persia, in China, in Hinduism, and in mandalas? Because math is universal. And God put it right here. So, we have the Kabbalistic tree of life. Now, one important thing, and I just want to mention this. What numbers did we, when you, when you take away the thousand and loaves and fishes and all this other stuff, right? Take all of that away for a second and just look at the numerics of everything we just covered. What was the first thing he said? Oh, they were with me three days. Okay. Do you know what the crossbars on the Kabbalistic tree of life are? There's three of them. Then the diagonals. You know how many diagonals there are? There's 12. Where were we here? Was it this one? So, and I break five. I break five and five, which by the way, Kabbalah is a reference. This is the Kabbalistic tree of life. Oh, where is it? Sorry. This is the Kabbalistic tree of life, which is formed with 10 Sephiroth, 10 emanations of God. Five and five, right? So we have, so there's, there's the reference right there. So there's five and five. So the first thing he says is, Hey, there's three, you're with me three days. Forget about days. Forget about loaves. Forget about fishes. Forget about any of that stuff. Right? Just look at the numbers three days. Okay. Well, there's three crossbars and then they're like, Hey man, uh, we got break five loaves, five and five, five and five. And then how, how many 12? So in other words, 10, and then he says 12. Well, the Kabbalistic tree of life, if you look at the diagonals, there's 12 diagonals. Then you look at the vertical parts, and there's seven. What are all the numbers that we've been dealing with this, this entire chapter? Three, seven, 12, five, and five. This is all Kabbalistic. There's no way you could even get to the core of what these stories even mean without a fundamental study in sacred geometry. Okay? 
which is which is what which was what Kabbalah really is, um, just under a different term, and we've covered that enough. So, so the Kabbalistic tree of life. Well, that's some ancient Jewish thing. Eh, wrong. So first off, this is what one of the references to Jesus on the cross is. This here is a Kabbalistic symbol. All Christians will deny it left and right. They'd probably, you know, if, if, if this was the wrong time period, I would be put on a cross for saying that. <laughs> I'd be like, hang him. <laughs> Whatever, you know. Nail him to a cross. Obviously a, her, you know, a heretic. He's trying to destroy our Christly religion. No, no, not at all. That's a, Christ, the symbol of Christ on the cross is a Kabbalistic symbol. And that's what, that's what, that's the reference. So if you see on the right there, the, in, in Kabbalah, the man, the idea is to get back on that tree of life. That's like your ultimate goal, which is, is no different. It's basically just a, another way of expressing your unification with God. That's it. Don't be scared of this stuff. Okay. And don't let a bunch of people, and I'm, I'm saying this because we're a little congregation here, don't let a, a bunch of people who have no idea what they're talking about try to tell you otherwise, okay? So this guy sees men, why are we talking about this? Because he said, he's like, hey, Jesus just cleaned my eyeballs. <laughs> and he says, he's like, oh, where are we? Sorry, wrong place here. He just spit in my eye and cleaned it and said, I see men as trees walking. He's seeing them as he just cleansed them, and what is he seeing? He's got a Kabbalistic sight now. What is the tree? The tree is the central nervous system of your, you know, I mean, you know, this is one of the expressions of it, of course, right? This is, in other words, the, the central tree of the earth, right, which is a mystical idea. We just covered this last live stream. I'll show it again here. Um, the Axis Mundi is a reference to your central nervous system. So the trunk of your tree is your spinal column and the branches are your arms that come out and then the roots are your legs that are going down. Okay? This is symbolism. There's, there's lots of trees of life. The, the Egyptians had a tree, the Bodhi tree of life, right? The Bodhi tree. Oh, those Buddhists. Siddhartha Gautama, that's got nothing to do with my Christ. The Bodhi tree, tree of awakening. What is happening into this story? What's happening in this story? Jesus just awoke this guy. He was blind. Now he sees. He was sick. Now he's healed. He was dead. Now he's reborn. Okay? Tree of awakening. That's exactly what's happening to this blind dude. Um, uh, what's another one? The Celtic tree of life. The, Cel the Celtic tree of life meaning is said to represent balance and harmony. Right? They saw the tree of life as a representation of the three stages of life. Birth, death, and reincarnation in another life. We're going to talk about reincarnation here. It's going to be mentioned in the verses. Um, this is the Axis Mundi. But by the way, the people kick and scream and argue about this all day long. The Norse mythology clearly, clearly expresses Kabbalah within the beginnings of the Poetic Edda. There's a tree of life that comes from essentially a place of nothingness before the world was formed, that sort of thing. The Patriot Astrologer, doing great. The Druids also love trees. Yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, the Patriot Astrologer in 1999. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, for, uh, clearly. So in the Poetic Edda, which I'll, I'll, I'll cover some of that. Like, I'm not, I'm not an expert in that stuff at all. I'm not, I'm not an expert in anything, but... Um, this is the Axis Mundi, by the way. The central tree, 
whether there's an actual tree there or not is not the point. We're talking about symbolism and mysticism here, okay? That central pole is expressed as a tree, and that's the pole that links the heaven and the earth. It's the pole that links the circle and the square. That central tree represents the tree, the central nervous system, the central nervous system of you, okay? So like I was saying, the Norse, I mean, there's earth. <laughs> I was just reading Ovid's uh, Metamorphosis. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you guys know that. This is a like, classic book of um, this, like ancient Greek Roman slash myths or whatever. It's got Mercury in there and it's got you know Jupiter and blah, 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 blah. But one of the things it talked about was the coastline that wraps around Earth. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, so the, in the Poetic Edda, they talk about this. There's nine levels on a tree. And, these tr- and the nine levels on the tree, there's the ten emanations of God come from a what? A place of uh, the beginning of creation in which there was nothing material formed. What is the nothingness? It's zero. So in other words, zero, zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You know, you said Kabbalah to most Christians, they're going to run for the hills. You said Kabbalah, if you say Kabbalah to most people that are like Norse people, like old Adam Green over there at No No More News, he's got no clue what he's talking about. Nothing. There's no idea. It's like, no, they're talking about the same thing. The universality of numbers. So in astronomy, axis mundi is the Latin term for the axis of the Earth between the celestial poles and the geocentric coordinate system. That's where we are. That is the axis of the rotation of the celestial sphere. And just as you see there, there's a sphere. At least this is what we're told. This is what so many of these mythologies show. There's a sphere of the stars, and it's rotating around the flat plane of our blessed Earth. Look, there's, you see that? That's Oro, it's one of the names, Ouroboros. It's the snake that's wrapping around the Earth. In, in the waters, by the way, which is reflective above and below, um, I think it's called uh, brain frog. Jormungandr is, this, is the serpent. And that's the Draco. That's the constellation Draco. It's wrapping around the pole star. Okay? So anyway, there's that. So this guy is basically saying, I see men as trees walking. That is a reference to Kabbalah. Okay, then it goes on to say, and after that, he put his hands upon his eyes again, and he made him look up, and he was restored, and saw every man clearly. Now, what does this mean? He saw every man as exactly what they are, a spark of God. The, the, every, every, the scintilla that is within you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me, is the exact same thing. It comes from the same source, it comes from that monotheism. And we're going to see this in just a second. He goes on to repeat this in just a few lines here. Um, and he sent him away to his house, astrological term, saying, neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Okay. Um, do I have this here? Yeah, okay. So, there was many times... I want you. I, I want you really to focus on this, guys. I want you to think about this, okay? And we've covered this before, and I haven't mentioned it thus far, right? But there's many times where it said, "Oh, and he charged him to tell no one." And we, and like, I could go back and show that there's several times in the last whatever live streams we've done where it says something to the effect of this. And he's like, "Hey, man, neither go into the town nor tell it to anyone in the town." So Jesus just healed this dude. He sent him away and he's like, don't tell anybody. Why? Why did Jesus instruct him not to tell anybody? Is Jesus keeping secrets? Yes. That's what he's telling the guy. He's like, don't tell anybody. 
Don't cast your pearls before swine. Now, a bunch of a lot of people, you know, especially when the when the Masonic conversation comes up, which is uh, exhausting. But that's neither hither nor thither. When the Masonic conversation comes up, people's like, "Well, the Bible says you're not supposed to keep secrets. What are you talking about? What the heck are you talking about?" Here. He's healed a guy. The guy was blind. Then he saw some trees. Now he sees everybody as the scintilla and spark of God that they really are. Right? And then he's like, shh, don't tell anybody. Why? Why? Okay. Well, this is because it's the mysteries. I wrote this. Uh, this is in the new volume one through three that I'm working on, the Pine English Alphabet. I've combined the books and I'm editing the heck out of it. And I'm very happy thus far with with what I've come up with. Very, uh, anyway. So, knowing the value of esoteric information and recognizing how thieves and malicious forces can usurp this wisdom during historically chaotic times. You mean like now? Such wisdom was purposely, purposefully concealed for preservation. Knowledge, a lot of times, is not only concealed for, for preservation, but to be, so that it would be, you know, these, the people that preserve it and conceal it, is, they, they preserve it for several generations so that it will not be distorted and inverted and perverted and that sort of thing, right? In many orders, such as Freemasonry, what is discussed within the order is generally not to be disclosed outside the walls of the bond of trust made by the men who have taken oath. A common theme is shared within many fraternal orders. Many fraternal orders share this. What you learn here stays here. Why do they do this? What is one of the reasons they say don't tell anybody? It's because they're worshiping the devil and they're riding the goat down there? No, they're not. Just so you guys know, that's ridiculous. One of the reasons that the Masons conceal knowledge is to get you to ask questions. The reason that they, the reason that they don't... How do I say this? When it entices you... To, if you were a true seeker, right? Right? If you're, if like, I want to understand this world, I want to understand who I am, I want to understand life, I want to understand the nature of God, I want to understand what I'm doing here, I want to understand all that stuff, right? The re, when, when the, when a mystery is kept concealed, the true, like, erudite, or I don't want to say erudite, the true initiate that really wants to understand something would be like, wait a second, what, what's going on over there? Why do they have secrets? And then it is, it's going to inquire, it's going to require you to inquire, okay? Part of the reason that they keep secrets is to entice you to go in and be like, I want to know. Now, most people will not accept that as an answer for Freemasonry, right? But I can tell you that that, that um, once again, concealing of quote-unquote knowledge, this idea that, hey, we've got secrets in Masonry. Now, most people don't actually inquire what those secrets are. They don't pick up one book. They don't, they don't look at anything. They just assume that it's all evil and that's good enough for them. And that's why they're not on the path, period. Period, full stop. Masonry, it worked for me beautifully, okay? What the intention of Masonry was to say, and I'm not a Mason, but the intention of Masonry is to say, hey, knock, find, knock and you shall, knock and it shall be answered. No, knock and, what does it say? Ask and you shall receive, knock and it shall be opened unto you, that sort of thing. It requires you to go and pursue the mystery. And when something is concealed and, and concealed or like there's there's a there's an error of mystery or there's secrets around it, the true initiates can be like, I want to know what's going on. That's exactly what it did for me, guys. Exactly what it did for me. I wanted to know. I was like, what's going on with masonry? Are those the, are those the devil worshippers down there? 
Is that what's going on? Then if you are honest with it, which hardly anybody in the truther community is, and that's really unfortunate, but I've been trying to bang on that drum for 10 years and that's a waste of time. It works. It's exactly what got me into this stuff. People, you're here because you're like, this is awesome, guys. This is what Small Axe just said it, and Patriot Astrologer, and with Eric C. They're like, this is a great sermon. Well, at some point, you're going to have to thank a bunch of Masons then, because that's where I learned this stuff. Morals and Dogma, what may be considered the quintessential Masonic text, Upper Pike of the Scottish Rite spends several pages distinctly expressing that many of the great philosophers of our past, from St. Gregory of Constantinople to St. Augustine of Hippo, had all made it abundantly clear that those who had acquired the higher wisdom from the ancient wisdom keepers were not, under any circumstances, to reveal or haphazardly divulge the information that they earned. Now, you might be saying, well, if you've learned this stuff, like, why, why are you giving it out? Because I didn't learn it from it. I didn't learn. I didn't have to. I, I didn't go and somebody's like, oh, here's all the information. I had to do it myself. I had to go and read the books and earmark pages and study stuff and look at the etymology and what does this word mean and what the. And I had to pour over astronomical, di- all that sort of stuff. No one gave this to me. Well, God gave it to me. I guess I'll say that because all glory to him. But. You know, and I also say this, that we are living in a time when it's absolutely necessary that the esoteric, the the mysticism is is understood by our society again because of the situation that we're in. So there's that. Um, You're not supposed to reveal this stuff. All the mysteries should be kept concealed. This is St. Ambrose, Archbishop of Milan. All the mystery should be kept concealed, guarded by faithful silence, lest it should be inconsiderably divulged to the ears of the profane. So a, a saint was calling people profane. Everybody bitches about the Masons that, they, you, that they'll say the sacred and profane in that sense, right? You're profane by your actions. You're profane by what you do in this life. You're not born profane. No one's born profane. We're all born children of God. What you do in this life, the will that you, that you were given, that's what makes you profane. That's what makes you either the, you know, climbing to the top of the mountain or the pig that's wallowing in the friggin' mud, okay? So here's a saint being like, do not divulge this information to the propane, to propane, profane. Um, do not cast your pearls before swine. It is not given to all to contemplate the depths of our mysteries, that they may be not be seen by those who ought not to behold them, nor received by those who cannot preserve them. There's, he's even saying, we're doing this to preserve it. Masons re, masonry is doing the exact same thing, and ain't nobody want to know it. That says so much about the time period that we live in, by the way. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. He's saying, if you give it out, these people are going to turn on you. They're going to destroy the sacred knowledge. Okay? Now, think about this. So he's saying, there's some people in this life that don't deserve it. Right? That they may not be seen, uh, that they may not be seen by those who ought not to behold them. So I guess there are people that are born in this world in, in this sense that just, well, they'll, 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 never, they'll never get it. Right? So I guess that's it. They get their one life. And then that's it. And then they're just burning an eternal pit of hell. You had one chance. That's it, right? No. No. 
reincarnation is is a is a is a something that's actually I I would say this I would say it's pretty dang clear in the Bible. Now there's probably be a lot of people that would disagree with me, but I'll just say this, and I'm not trying to sound arrogant or cocky or anything like that. But I know they don't know what they're reading. It's been it's been made, and I'm not trying to offend anybody here, but it's been made very 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 clear to me over the years that nearly everyone I've ever spoken to has no idea what they're reading when it comes to the Holy Bible. And that's, and therein lies the problem. So let's go, what are we on here? Okay. And he put his hands upon him again and he saw every man clearly. And he says, go, you know, uh, neither go into the town nor tell it anyone in the town. Keep it concealed. But I thought Christian, no, the Bible is specifically against secrets. (laughs) Okay. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, which is Allegedly, which by the way, Caesar is actually in um, Ovid's Metamorphosis too. But Caesar is 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 symbolic for a ruler, an unjust monarch, and that sort of stuff, right? So he went to this place where there's a ruler. That's what we'll just say that, right? And by the way, um, he asked his disciples, saying to them, "Whom do men say that I am?" So Jesus is asking these. He's asking his disciples, like, "Who do men say that I am?" And they answered, um, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. So this is what this is what they answered. And I don't know if they answered it aloud. With this was like a chorus. They all sang this: John the Baptist. It was like you know. Anyway, um, and they answered John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say one of the prophets. Now, by the way, the next chapter reiterates this in Mark 9, which maybe we'll go into next week. Um, It reiterates this idea, okay? So here Christ Almighty is before them, and all all the multitude, about 4,000, came in with the disciples, and they're all following this dude because it's like, hey, they followed him for three days, and they were hungry and all this other stuff, right? And now we're saying, who do men say that I am? And all these people don't know? (laughs) <laughs> it's like, like, think about this, the popularity of Jesus, like how well Jesus was known in, in, in the world, right? Is, is like, it would be like, uh, there's like the, here's, here's the Johnny Depp trial that's going on right now. It would be like people mistaking Johnny Depp for, I don't know, you, you know, uh, Danny DeVito or something like that. It's just like, no, everybody knows who Johnny Depp is. Everybody obviously knows who Jesus is. So what's being said here? Whom do men say that I am? Well, there is only I am. Notice, what is he asking here? Whom do men say that I am? It's going to be important. Those that know the spiritual significance of I am, it's basically saying that when you, when you strip off all the nonsense, when you strip off all the, all the images and all the things that you grafted onto who you think you are in this world, when you strip all that down and you get right to the heart, right to the spirit of who you are, the only thing you can possibly say about you and your experiences, I am. Okay, And that references the notion that we are all scintillas or sparks of God. Deborah Stilly, I kept asking God to help me to read the Bible the way it's supposed to be read, and he led me to you. We need this church to so keep it going, of course, right? You know, when the, when the student is ready, the, the teacher appears, right? It's kind of that sort of thing. So, thank you, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, so, here, Jesus, the, 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 the Johnny Depp of divinity. 
It's there. It's like, who do men say I am? And they don't even know. John the Baptist or some, some of these people up here say Elias and others one of the prophets. And, the, and he saith unto them, but Peter, whom say ye that I, that <clears throat> I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, thou art, not, not thou art Jesus Christ. No, he doesn't say that. He says, thou art the Christ. How many number sevens are there in the world? How many number sevens are there in the world? One. There's one number seven. There, now there's all these different languages and all these different people that say, oh, well, seven is the word seven and you know, the word seven is septum and then the word, the word seven is seju and then the other word, the word seven is sept and the word, uh, the word seven is seven and all this other stuff. Yes, okay, there's different languages that have different combinations of letters and, and phonetics and stuff like that that reference this thing. But how many number sevens are there? There's one. How many number eights are there? There's one. How many 1,234,962 are there? One. How many Christs are there? One. And what is it? The Christ. Okay. What is that Christ? It's within you. What, as, as Amor likes to say, I think this is the perfect, most concise way to say it. What is Christ? It's your true self. This is what the guy that was blind knew. He saw every man clearly. Oh, that's Christ. There's Christ. I see the spark and divinity of God right there. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered, and Say unto the Christ. So, what is being said here, right? So, when he says, like, it was like Elias and others and one of the prophets and John the Baptist, and there's several times where this is mentioned in the Bible, where this a similar thing is brought up, and it's like, what is this? What is he could be this guy, he's Jeremiah, he's Elias, he's one of the prophets. What's being said here? This is this is a reference to to reincarnation. And reincarnation is made uh, the, the, I forget who wrote this uh, article, but it's a pretty well-written article. I think I have it on my site too, but um so I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't grab the reference. My bad. Um it's John 9, 1 to 3, okay? And reincarnation is made obvious in the instance of the man born blind. This is why I say that when you read the Bible properly, it's pretty clear. Okay? And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from birth. So here's a reference. This guy's blind, right? So here's another reference to this. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned, nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Okay? Think about this. So Jesus passed by, saw a man that was blind from birth. So God was just God was just being a total prick. He's like, I'm just going to make this one blind for no good reason whatsoever. You're never going to be able to actually read the Bible. Why? Because I just decided to punish you for no reason whatsoever. Why was he born blind from birth? Probably because in the last life, he watched too much porn or Netflix, or whatever, you know, he, the works of God were made manifest in him. It wasn't his parents' fault, and it wasn't the guy's fault that was born in this life. Whose fault was it? The actions, the profane actions that the guy took in the life before. 
Why was he was born blind? Because, oh, master, who did the sin? Was it this man or his parents? Neither. He didn't sin, and his parents didn't sin. But the works of God should be made manifest in him. Okay? So it goes on to say, I'm just going to read this. It says, The question as to whether the man himself had sinned and in consequence had had been born sightless shows the clear thought that justice demanded the the transgression should have occurred in a physical body. So he sinned and the transgression should have occurred in a physical body. But it wasn't, as Jesus is saying, it wasn't this man, it wasn't his parents. As this could have only happened in a former life on earth, Belief in reincarnation is implicit in the question, and I think that's exactly what it is. Okay, Our Lord's answer, which appears to deny rebirth, is susceptible to more than one interpretation. Okay, It is technically to, to correct to say that a new personality, with its name, nationality, and characteristics, which once again, when we strip all those things away, oh, my name is Kevin, my name is Kevin Ryan Martin McNally, and I decided to graft onto myself the name Claudia Pavonis and Marty Leeds, and I was born in Wisconsin, and I'm this and this, and I'm part of, I'm an American. I'm, strip it all away. What are you? I am. Okay. So he's saying, you know, it's technically correct to say that the new personality with its name, nationality, and characteristics was not responsible for the actions of which his blindness was the result. The actor was distinctly another man with another name and personality, though the spiritual soul within the both bodies is the same. You guys get that? I think it's pretty clear. So when, what are we saying here? So where's these people... (laughs) It's Peter knows. He's like, oh, the Christ, right? I see the Christ. I see the scintilla spark of God. I know who you are. But these other people, they're looking at Christ and they, they can't see it. Why? Well, because they don't have ears to hear and eyes to see and uh, you know, all that sort of thing, right? So they don't see the one scintilla spark of God. They're like, well, it's John the Baptist or Elias or one of the prophets. Okay. Um, here's another. And we just read, um, this is... Um, it's a thing called Q source. I actually just learned this. Um, it, Q source is where uh, Q source is not um, the guys behind Donald Trump that are fighting the deep deep state. That's not the Q uh, source we're talking about here. Q source is something where it shows that uh, the chapters of Matthew and Luke, a lot of the verses mirror one another, right? And you can look this up. It's called the Q source. But so you see the same sort of story here uh, in the Gospel of. Um, St. Matthew here, where it says Jesus came to Caesarea, I don't know how to say that, I'm sorry, Caesarea, Philippi, is that how you say that? He asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I am? And they say, ah, some say John the Baptist, some say Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. They can't, they can't see that it's the same spirit within each being, okay? And it says, verily I say, um, this is Matthew 11, 7 to 15, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and violence, and the violent take it by force. Take, take it by force. For all the prophets and law and the law prophesy unto John. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for, for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, in the previous life, John was named Elias. 
And Elias was, this is, and this is exactly what they're saying. It's like, is this guy John the Baptist? And some say it's Elias or one of the other prophets. In the previous life, John, and we're going to see that this is, you know, it was prophesied that John would show up, right? So, and if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. And what came? John the Baptist. Okay, so in other words, John, Johnny boy, didn't reach salvation in the previous life. He didn't reach it. And it was it was only when we get to that New Testament here and we see, ah, now we got the book of John. We got John the Baptist. And now we see, hey, he's, you know, he's reached salvation, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, and it even says here, prophet Malachi wrote, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Okay. And then it goes on to say this prophecy is fulfilled in the New Testament. In the first chapter, St. Luke tells of the conception of John the Baptist, just as, it's, just as the prophecy says, as promised by the angel to the future father, Zacharias. And then it goes, they would conceive and bear a son, and he shall go before, Luke 1.17 says, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay? He's, t- he's turning all these people away, of course, I mean, to, to he's turning them to Christ, in other words. So this is what, and this is this thing, it's like you you recognize, once you recognize that that great I am within you, you know, that's that's when the, the process of reincarnation stops. Okay? That's when you, uh, the, the whole idea is anyway, is that's when you reach salvation. Okay, and this is Exodus three fourteen. This is Exodus three fourteen. What is three What is three fourteen a reference to? Once again, when we understand that this is encrypted, that's a reference to Pi. Okay. So when God said unto Moses, "This is God speaking to Moses, guys. This is God Almighty with the voice in the wilderness saying this: I am that I am. That's the most you can say about yourself. I am." And he said, Thou shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Okay. Um, then it goes on to say, and he charged them. So as everybody get that, I've covered this before. If you go on to uh, GnosticAcademy.org, I have a live stream called The Holy Bible is the Book of the Dead. Um, check that out because we cover reincarnation there as well. I read from the same passage as well. But once again, I don't think you can even understand what those verses mean at all unless you employ reincarnation into it. Once you recognize that the same scintilla and spark, the Christ is within you, I am. There's the most you could say about yourself. You strip away all those images and all those falsities and the nationalism and your, your, your nationality and all this other stuff. When you strip it all away and you get to the core, it's the I am. And when you get that, then when you realize that and you have that revelation, you get off that wheel of karma, that wheel of fortune, that wheel of fate, which is the, re- the, 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 the wheel of reincarnation is really what it is. Okay, It doesn't make any sense that God's going to give you one life Think about this. Just be commonsensical about it. Just use this this noggin that God gave you. It doesn't make any sense that God's just going to, oh, this guy was born without two lay, you know, he was born, a, a whatever. Um, what do I want to say? I'll give an example. He was born blind. They're a perfect example. Or he was, he was um, um, whatever, well, what's the word? When you have like, uh, oh my God, brain frog. Um, anyway, 
I'll just use the blind because my freaking neurons are not firing. This God was punishing this guy. He was born blind, and this is this one chance he gets in life. To what? Study the Bible and read it and understand God? And he can't? So God's just punishing this guy for no reason. You get one life and you were born, and then maybe you were born without hands or born with, you know, you were all messed up or whatever it is. We, of course, we have to have compassion for, that's why you have to have compassion for all people because it's like, yeah, you know, you, you see what the circumstances are. So are we supposed to really just think that God just made this guy all messed up when he was born? That's your one life. Good luck. No, it doesn't make any sense. Okay. So, and he charged them, uh, go on to say, uh, Mark 8.30. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. Again, saying, keep a secret. That's what he's saying. He charged them. He's like, you, don't tell anybody. Why? And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. So this is Jesus being like, hey guys, he's, um, he's teaching what's going to happen. Well, I mean, and we know what this is, and, you know, of course, in, in many respects, this is the, the Son. I, this is, he's telling a story about the Son. Hey, it's going to be, you know, going to die on the cross, solstices and equinoxes, Three days, I'm going to rise again. He's pro- Why is he prophesizing this? Because it's written upstairs in the sky. That's where prophecy is revealed. When, when they came to announce Jesus' birth, what did they do? They looked up into the heaven and found a star, right? Okay, so he began to teach them. He's like, hey, guess what? I'm going to suffer a bunch of stuff. I'm going to be rejected by the elders because who gives a flying, you know, because they're just a bunch of Satanists and the chief priests that all wanted, you know, that all were trying to accuse me falsely and put words in my mouth and the scribes, ooh, those that were scribbled in the Torah, oh, they're going to hate me. Oh, well, and be killed and after three days rise again. Okay, and he spake and saying that openly and Peter took him. He's like, and, and now this is completely misconstrued and mistaken what's what's said here and this is unfortunate but and he spake and that saying openly he so he said this openly and peter took him and he's like dude stop saying that stuff no you're the you're the eternal son of god you're the light of the world you know what i mean what are you talking about he's rebuking christ okay but when christ had turned and looked on his disciples he rebuked peter he's like saying he's not saying peter is satan he's saying when you rebuke the truth when you rebuke the truth, when you say, the truth is standing right in front of me, I'm being told the truth, and when you say, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to accept that, what you're doing is not, you're not aligning yourself with that way. You are aligning yourself with the other way. What's the other way? If you're not aligning yourself with Christ, what are you aligning yourself with? Antichrist. And so he's, and the truth is, he's rebuking him. He's saying, no, 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 no. He rebuked Peter saying, get thee behind me, Satan. That's, that's, that's Satan speaking right there. Right? No, 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 no. That's not what we do here. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Okay? You're you're not savoring the eternal. You're not savor you're not savoring that eternality. You're savoring the temporal. Nah, we don't do that. We do not, just as us Gnostics do. Once again, this is a Gnostic statement. Are you following the traditions of men? Are you going to the church elders for your authority? Are you going to God? Okay. So this, he's not calling Peter Satan here, right? 
Um, he's just saying, hey, that is not the way. And when he had called the people, uh, Mark 8.34, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let's read it again. What is he saying here? And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples, he's like, everybody come gather around. I've got something really important to tell you. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. What are they saying here? They're saying, <clears throat> deny, oh, uh, is, it, is it here? Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, I lost it here. Uh, I'm sorry, where is it? I thought I just said it. Uh, oh yeah, here. So he's denying, what, what does it say when you're denying yourself? It's saying when you deny all of those temporal things, all of those things that have been once again grafted onto you, that you relate to, that you have an image to, you know, all of those sort of things, that, that when you strip all of those away, you're denying yourself. You're, and, and that's what he wants you to do. He's saying deny all of those things. They're all the temporal. They're all the things that are impermanent. They're all the things that in this world that are just, that's just, oh, that's just who you are in this world. But who you really are is the Christ, the I am. And that's what he's saying. And if you want that, if you want the eternal salvation, right, then you have to deny those things and you take up your cross and you follow me. Okay? Does everybody understand that? Let go. Uh, Artie Cliffadu. Amen, Marty. Thanks for taking the time and bringing the word. You're welcome. 182 watching. That's far too many people watching. Far too many people watching. 182, by the way. The 42nd prime is uh, 181. And so, therefore, its divisors are 1 and 181, which equals 182. 42 is actually 13, 14, and 15. And if you mirror those, it's 3, 1, 4, 1, 5, 5. Anywho... So he says, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. It's exactly what we just talked about. Let go of those things. Let go of them. Kilobytes per second is 3142, just as I said. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's, it's like, it would be like me being like, I'm the pie guy. I'm the, I'm the guy that does the gematria stuff. Right? That's an image. That's all it is. Right? Let it go. Recognize who you actually are. Recognize what's actually in here. Recognize what's actually going on. See, just as the blind man saw. He saw everybody as, whoa, this, this is all the Kabbalistic tree of life. And now I see every man very clearly because they're all the spark and the scintilla of God. It's all the I am. That's what he means. Deny those things. They're all fleeting, passing. They all happen down here and they don't hold water up there. The eternal holds water up there, and that's what Christ is. Okay? For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Think about this. When he gain the whole world and lose his soul. When he gain, like in the sense, like the gain the whole world is like, you know, all of these things of the world you're tethering yourself to and, and, and gaining, you know, gaining from them. But in doing that, you lose the eternal. You you recognize, or you um, oh my god, I'm brain fart. You you know relate yourself to all of these things in the temporal existence. Say this is who I am. I'm this guy. 
I'm Irish and I was born in Wisconsin. I'm an American and I'm doing all this stuff. No, you're not. You're a child of God. That's what you are. I'm a Democrat, actually. I'm a, no, I'm a Republican over here. Uh, no, I'm actually an independent. No, you're not. You're a child of God. You're a prisoner of Christ. That's what you are. Deny all that stuff. Take up your cross. Follow him. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And he, find, and he ends here. He says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Is he talking about now? Is he? Is Christ here in the now, right now, right freaking now, just as we're having this little convo here, is he here with us? And is he trying to give us a little lesson here? Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, which is exactly the generation that we live in right now. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Okay. All right, um, I think that's enough. There was a lot of stuff to cover in that. Um, the ego fallacy, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ego fallacy. That's exactly what it is. Okay. Art Darnell. Yes, that's correct. He is here, yes. Okay, that is going to do it uh, for me. Thank you all. I see, said the blind man, as he picked up the hammer and saw. <laughs> My dad used to say that. So, okay. Um, yeah, thank you for all the, the super chats and everything like that. I really appreciate that. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, like I said, this... Um, uh, there it goes. Whatever I was just going to say. Fluttering in the wind. The old brain fog is definitely working. Okay, so thank you all so much for joining me. I really appreciate this. Next Sunday, I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do next Sunday, but uh, we'll do something. And like I said, I would ho I'm hoping to do another live stream, maybe two this week, uh, during the week. And like I said, maybe we'll do, um, thanks to Rebel Preacher over there. If you don't, um, you guys go show uh, Rebel Preacher some love. He's got a little channel over there, and he's, you know, he's, a, he's a really good dude. Um, yeah, I think we'll do the three, uh, three theological virtues, and then maybe, I don't know, we'll just continue on with Mark. I don't know, we'll see. So, um, what are you saying here? This was, they're ashamed of the King James Bible's words, yes. This was awesome, Marie. Thank you. Thank you, Gian Grassi. Thank you very much. Okay. So good to see all of you here. Okay, cool. All right. Um, if you want to become a member of the congregation, you already are. You don't have to do anything. That's it. End of story. Isn't that fun? Isn't that great? But if you would like to support what it is we do here, um, you can become a member at the Gnostic at GnosticAcademy.org. GnosticAcademy.org. Five bucks a month, 14 quarterly, 54 for a year. Uh, another little ditty. Uh, like I said, I like to keep it cheap. I know people are struggling, um, especially food prices going up and all this other stuff going up. And Jamie but Butler Greeley, four ninety nine. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I understand people are struggling financially, and if you can't afford it, d d don't. This is not, you know, um, I work for God's money. That's what I work for. But I do appreciate when you support the work because it, it helps me keep going. So. Um, like I said, hopefully we'll have some rosary packages in next week, and I'll send those out. And uh, like I said, uh, please, Mimi, let me know when you ordered that, and um, I'll try to figure out. Because if we didn't, if there, we missing one, I'm gonna definitely send you one. I want to make sure you get it. Um, Lord Jesus Christ, copy of the book. You can get that. You can get that hardcover or paperback. Uh, Marty Leeds songbook. 
about, I don't know, 60, 80 songs, something like that, that I've written over the last couple decades. And then I have Pie in the English Alphabet Volume 3 coming out, I'm hoping, this year. And I'm also working on another book, probably start it in the fall, I'm assuming, something like that, um, looking at the uh, astrology of the Holy Bible. I think I'm just going to call it something simple, like the astrology of the Holy Bible. You know, very creative, am I? And then I also have a book called um, The Peacock's Tales, The Alchemical Writings of Claudia Pavona, so you can pick up. So... Um, all right, we're going to listen to a tune on the way out. I'm going to hang out and just uh, uh, jam out with you guys. And the tune is Shoot Out the Lights by Mr. Gregory Arcade. You can go to gregarcade.com, gregarcade.com, and he's got a new record called Rolling Thunder, which is actually, uh, I don't know if he, I'm pretty sure he named it after the Rolling Thunder that's going on up in uh, the great state of Canada up there. So we're going to listen to Shoot Out the Lights, and you can get that uh, you can get that record on his site. And I highly recommend it. I uh, love Greg's music good dude and so i like to support the brothers you know what i'm saying so uh all right that's gonna do it guys may you always keep yourselves in the love of god looking for the mercy of our lord jesus christ onto eternal life may his grace be with you all amen all right i will see you guys uh next sunday and hopefully sometime this week and i don't know when i'm just gonna go whenever i get a chance i'm gonna go on the fly so there'll be no messages or anything like that i'm just gonna hit record and we're gonna do it so all right Thank you all for showing up. Thank you all for the support. I really appreciate it. It's so wonderful to see all of you good people out there. And um, all right, let's do it. Let's rock out with some uh, Mr. Greg Arcade. All right, love you guys. Oh,